All right, guys. Well, hey, today we are in week six, the final week of our series, Living a Legacy. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to go ahead and open up your copy of God's Word, if you got one, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 4 is where we're going to be at today. And if maybe you've got a Bible on your phone, iPad, whatever you're, uh, got, whatever you're packing today, go ahead and turn that on. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is where we're going to be at today. And we are going to be in verses 6 through 8, but we're going to get there in just a second. Not this second, but in just a few minutes, we're going to get to 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. Um, but let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. You guys answer this by raising your hand. How many of you have ever started something, but you didn't finish it? Raise your hand. Anybody ever started something you did not finish? Some of you are not raising your hand. I think you're a liar. If you disagree, we need to meet in the lobby. But almost everybody's done that, right? Started something, you didn't finish it. You ever started reading a book and you didn't finish reading that book? You know? Oh, that book. Oh, everybody's read that book. You know what? I'm going to read that book. You go buy that book. And you read that book for a little bit. And all of a sudden, here it is, five years later, you have not finished the book. When somebody brings it up, I'm reading that. You haven't opened it since 2004. You know what I'm saying? But I'm reading that book right now. One day, I'm going to finish it, right? Maybe, uh, maybe um, for you, it's exercise. Exercise. Anybody ever said, today's the day I'm getting in shape? Today's the day I'm going to start eating right? Today's the day I'm going to go to the gym. Today's the day we're going to buy gym equipment. And you go and you buy a treadmill. Put the treadmill together. Get on the treadmill. You run for a little bit and realize you hate sweating. You hate working out. You, in fact, hate this treadmill, right? And now here you are months later, and that treadmill has now become basically an extension of your closet. You know what I'm saying? You're just hanging clothes on it. One day, though... You're going to use that bad boy. One day, that's the thing going to get you to the Boston Marathon. But for right now, it's a glorified hamper. You know what I'm saying? Right? Because, listen, it's easy to start, isn't it? But it's hard to finish. And here we are. We're wrapping up this series called Living a Legacy. And, man, we've talked about some big ideas here that could absolutely change our lives. We've talked about, in the very first week of this series, we talked about passing on a godly legacy to the generation after us, to our classmates, to our teammates, to our coworkers, whatever it is, because we're always leaving a legacy. So instead of leaving one later on, what we've done in this series, we've talked about building a life that lasts now, living the legacy we want to leave. We've talked about living it right now. And so the first week of this series, we talked about passing on a godly legacy. We've talked about last week, Aaron Harvey was here. If you missed it last week, you can listen to it on our website or our app. And we talked about being people of integrity. The week before that, we talked about the principle that changes everything. And what we said in that is that what you want to reap later, you need to begin to sow now. And we've talked about all kinds of really big things in this series, and maybe the way that some of this stuff has landed on you is you've heard some of these things and you've said this, oh, I need to start doing that. Oh, man, I need to get really intentional about passing on my faith to my kids. I've never really thought about that. I do need to work at passing the baton. Oh, man, I want to reap a healthy marriage. I want to reap something later. I need to start to sow towards that now. I need to start doing that. And here we are, week six of this series, weeks after that, and here you are, weeks removed, and you're already tired, right? 
already tired, already worn out. You made the commitment in week one, six weeks ago, to try to pass on your faith to the next generation, pass on your faith to your kids. And so you started talking to your kids about the Bible, talking to your kids about Jesus, and they're still rolling their eyes at you. They still think that you're crazy. So now the only verses you read to your kids because you're so upset are verses about the wrath of God coming for them. You know what I mean? And you're just tired. Because it's easy to start and hard to finish. So if today I could leave us just with one idea before we walk away from this series, here's the idea that I really would want us to get. I would want us to see today that starting is good, but finishing is better. Starting is good, finishing is better. Can we all say that with us just so that I know you're not stuffed from bacon? Can we all say that together? Let's say it. Starting is good, finishing is better. Starting is good, but finishing is better. See, I don't know where you're at in your marriage today if you're married, but here's what I know about your marriage. I know it about about every single marriage in the room. I know that when you started it, you intended it to go for the long haul. That's why you looked at each other and said, till death do us part. Dads, it's Father's Day. You remember when when you held your son, when you held your daughter for the very first time, and just that wave of responsibility hit you? Remember that? And and just you just had this thought, I want to do this right. Remember? I want to do this right. I want to start off well. I want to do this right. I don't want to raise the next Charles Manson. Jeffrey, that's not a goal for our family. I want to try to do this right. Hey, if you're a Christian today, you don't have any plans of walking away from God. But it happens all the time, doesn't it? Hey, I should be honest with you, worst part of my job, the worst part of my job, the part of my job that I absolutely hate is when you see people who get excited about God, it seems like God is doing something in their life, and then all of a sudden they're not around like they used to be. And then one week, they're never around anymore, and they don't respond to your messages. They don't say hi to you in public. They try to avoid you in public. They have walked away seemingly from God. Nobody plans for that, but it happens. How's it happen? Here's how it happens, because it's easy to start, and it's hard to finish. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to try to figure out how to finish Well, how can you finish well in the areas of your life that matter the most? That's what I want to talk about today. And we're going to look at this from a book in the Bible that hopefully you're already at. If you don't have a Bible or anything like that, it's going to be on the screen behind me in 2 Timothy. Now, let me just kind of fill you in on what's happening in the book of 2 Timothy. If you're new to the Bible, new to church, and you're just kind of checking this whole deal out, here's what you need to know. Most of the New Testament was written by a guy named Paul. Now, Paul didn't grow up in church. In in fact, Paul's background, man, it was really shady, really rough, because literally, Paul used to go from city to city and town to town, and he hunted Christians. He would kill Christians. Literally, he really would. Men, women, children who confessed to know Jesus and to love Jesus, Paul would either kill them or have them thrown into prison. So this is not a good guy. This is not a guy that you want to hang out with, man. This is, I mean, this is a bad dude, right? And so Paul is on his way. Actually, his name used to be Saul. When he meets Jesus, Jesus changes him so much he gets a new name. But Saul is on his way to a city named Damascus, and he's going there in Acts chapter 9. It says to arrest Christians, men, women, and children, throw them in prison for worshiping Jesus. On his way to Damascus, Saul meets Jesus. 
And man, Jesus wrecks Paul's life. Jesus turns Paul's world upside down. And God begins to use Paul literally to change the world. He goes all over the area where he is, Middle East there in that area, to plant churches. And God uses Paul to write most of the New Testament. And so most of the New Testament that you've got in in your Bible or on your phone, those are actually letters to churches. Most of them are letters to churches from Paul to churches that he started. Well, these, these, this letter here, 2 Timothy, so this is actually a sequel. Obviously, there's a 1 Timothy. These are letters from Paul to Paul's protege, his son in the faith, Timothy. So you could think of Paul as, Paul as the Jedi and Timothy as the Padawan. Where are my nerds at? Where are my nerds? Thank you. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. Really, here's how you can think of, this, of the book of 2 Timothy. This is the last letter of a father to a son. Because Paul knows. See, Paul throughout his life, once he met Jesus, turned the world upside down. Some people that didn't sit well with. So Paul found himself in prison a lot for preaching Jesus. Found himself getting beat up for preaching Jesus. Paul, when he writes 2 Timothy, is in jail. And here's what he knows. He knows this time they're going to kill him. And they literally do. History records that Paul, after this imprisonment, he's not released. They take him out behind the prison. They put his head on a chopping block. And Paul, because he professed to know Jesus Christ, has his head separated from his body. He's beheaded. He has his head chopped off and he is murdered because he's a preacher and he loves Jesus. Here's the deal. Paul knows it's going to happen. So this is Paul's last word. 2 Timothy is the last letter we have from Paul in the Bible. With that background, you can see everything that I just now said in what we're about to read. So let's look at this. Let's look at 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, it says this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Watch this next phrase. We're going to come back here. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. See, what's interesting about this passage, and this is not up on the screen, so don't look for it here on the screen, but if you've got a Bible, you can see this. What we just read has two bookends that could not be further, further separated. I mean, I mean, the bookends of the verses that we get, that we just read, they are examples of two polar opposites. Because here's what happens. Paul knows he's about to die, looks back at his life, and he says, guys, listen, I wasn't perfect, but I finished well. Hey, you know what? You can say that about your life. You can say that about your life. You know what? I'm not perfect. I made a lot of bad decisions. I dropped the ball a lot of times. But I tried to really live for Jesus. And looking back, I fought the good fight. So Paul is an example of a guy that starts well and finishes well. But then all of a sudden in verse 10, again, this is not on your screen. You can look at it in your Bible. All of a sudden in verse 10, we get the opposite example. Somebody who started well but didn't finish. Listen to verse 10. If you got it, if you got your Bible, you can look at it with me. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me 
and gone to Thessalonica. Now, see, nobody's favorite Bible character is this guy named Demas. In fact, we don't know a lot about Demas. We don't know what he looks like. We don't know where he grew up. We don't know what he did for hobbies. But here's what we do know. At the end of every letter that Paul ever wrote, there's always a paragraph or two where Paul gives a list of names. And if you ever read those, you're like, I don't know these names. Why do I have to read this list of names? Well, the church that Paul was writing to, they did know those people. And so every single paragraph or two that closes out one of Paul's letters, he's just letting this church know, hey, here's how so-and-so is doing. Well, this church that Timothy pastors, Timothy's a pastor, and Paul is letting, letting everybody know how some people are, and then he brings up a guy named Demas, and here's all we know about Demas. Demas started well. Demas was in the crew with Paul. He was going around telling people about Jesus, and he was making a difference. He was changing the world, and at some point, we don't know why, at some point, Demas said, guys, I'm done. This is too hard. It's too much at stake, and I'm tired. I'm out. And so Demas walks away from Paul, walks away from the church, walks away from God. Because it's easy to start, and it's hard to finish. So how do you finish well in the areas that matter most? Hey, listen, if you want to finish well, and if you're taking notes, three things that you need to know. You want to finish well? You and I need to do three things if we're going to finish well. First thing we need to do, we need to go all in. We need to go all in. See, Paul says this in verse 6. It's a real, real, really weird phrase, but look at this. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And see, what he's doing there is he's pulling something from the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, they had what's called the sacrificial system. Everybody's favorite book of the Bible is the book of Leviticus. No? You don't love that one? Okay. Well, here's why a lot of people kind of nervously laughed and said, oh man, I usually skip that. Because the book of Leviticus, man, it is a detailed manual for how to offer sacrifices, and it just seems like it's from another planet. And the reason that in the Old Testament they offered sacrifices, they had what was called the sacrificial system. It's because the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Sin separates us from God, and God says, hey, you know what? Somebody's got to pay for this. And so in the Old Testament, God sets up a system called the sacrificial system, and it was basically a lot of animal sacrifices that were constantly offered, all kinds of rituals, all kinds of offerings, so that God's people, Israel, could maintain a relationship with Jesus. Now you're saying, Mark, why don't we do that today? I'm glad you asked. The reason we don't do that today is because Jesus is the fulfillment of every single Old Testament sacrifice. There are no longer needs to be any sacrifices for sin because Jesus is the once for all perfect sacrifice for every sin, every person in the world. Amen? Amen. That's right. You can, get, you can clap, you can chest bump, you can eat bacon. I don't care what you do. It's man day. And so, so we don't do that anymore. But in the Old Testament, here's what they would do. There would be an altar. The sacrifice would be on the altar. As they're offering that sacrifice, there was a glass of wine. If you're Baptist, there was a glass of grape juice. I don't know how you roll. I don't know how you roll. It's a glass of Welch's or something, right? I just got to do that for the Baptist. Wine, wine, grape juice. Calm down. For the Presbyterians, you, you've got it in your trunk, okay? You know what I'm saying? Um, sorry. It's man day. Um, there's a glass of wine. And here's what they would do. Here's what they would do. Here's what they, highly symbolic, highly symbolic. As the sacrifice was being offered, somebody would take that glass of wine and hold that glass of wine out and begin to pour it out slowly. 
And they would hold that glass upside down until every single last drop of wine was gone to symbolize that every single last drop of that offering was God's. And Paul looks back at his life and he says, you know what, guys, I didn't have it all together, but my life was a drink offering. And here's what he means. Guys, I made a lot of mistakes. I let my temper get in the way a lot of times. But guys, I've tried since I met Jesus on the Damascus Road, I have tried to live my life in such a way that every single last drop was poured out for him. I mean, I've tried to live my life and leverage my life in such a way that every drop of my life is about Jesus Christ. See, when we talk about going all in, we're really talking about having something to live for. Let me ask you a question. Do you have something to live for? Say, oh yeah, I got, I got something to live for. I, I've, I've, got, I've got a job that, that pays the bills, and I've got a nice house. And that, listen, no, 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 that's not what I'm, I'm not asking you that. I'm asking you, do you have something to live for? Now, see, it's at this point, and a lot of you have already done it. Yeah, I've got something to live for. It's my kids. My my kids are what I live for. Or the closest relationships in my life, those are the things that I live for. And listen, those things are great. There's nothing wrong with any of those. But those things were not made for that purpose. Our kids, if you live for your kids, because that's what a lot of us do. We live in a kid-centered society, and so we can have kids, and our lives revolve around our kids, and our schedules, and, our, and everything we do revolve around our kids, and our whole life, we build it up after our kids. And listen, guys, I've got three kids, so I'm not knocking this. I've got three kids. I love mine. There was a time we thought we were going to sell them on eBay. We were going to keep them. We're going to keep them. I promise. All right? So I've got kids. But listen, God did not create kids so that they could sustain all of our hopes, dreams, and ambitions. And and if we start to live for them, if we put all of that weight on them, what it will do, it will crush them and disappoint us. Because they weren't made for that. The relationships in your life, they, they weren't made for that. Well, Mark, what should I live for? Have you ever looked at your life or have you ever just had this thought, maybe you're here, you're not a, you're not a person of faith, you don't believe in God, but have you ever looked at life and just thought, man, why are we here? On this ball of dirt, seven billion plus people, what in the world is this all about? God answers that question. Look at this verse, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7. And this verse is for every person on the planet, not a group of people. If you have a pulse and you're breathing, this is yours. Everyone who is called by my name, watch this next phrase, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. See, here's what that says. The reason that God created you was so that you and I would live for the glory of God. So that you and I would live for the glory of Jesus. See, guys, life was not meant to be all about us. It's meant to be about the one that made us. And so Paul says, listen, again, I wasn't perfect. I didn't have it all together. I made a lot of mistakes. But God, I wanted to use my life so that every last drop was about You. See, some of you, that's exactly your story. You met Jesus Christ and he changed everything. You never thought you'd be a church person. You used to hate church. You used to make fun of church people. What are you now? A church person. Right? You didn't used to believe in God. You thought God was crazy. You couldn't see God. Why would you believe in something you can't even see? Here you say, you've been lifting your hands, worshiping who? God. 
You never bought the whole Jesus thing, but now all of a sudden you've got a personal relationship with Jesus. See, guys, here's the story that Jesus, that Jesus creates in every single heart that knows him. The moment that we meet Jesus, something inside of us just comes alive, and it causes us to say, God, I'm not perfect, but I want to live every last drop of my life for you. And you don't have to be a preacher to live that way. You don't have to be a missionary to live that way. You can be a CEO. You can be a janitor. You can be a repairman. You can be a stay-at-home mom. You can be a grandparent. You can be a mom, a dad, a student. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter how old you are. You can be eight or you can be 80. You can be healthy or you can be in illness. It doesn't matter where you're at, but you today, if you've got a relationship with God, you can pour out every last drop of your life to God and say, Jesus, this is about you, not me. It's about you. And listen, if you're here today and you've never had that kind of encounter with God, today you can. It's available for you today. Today, God wants to meet you right there and you can leave saying, man, that was an encounter with God that that has changed everything for me. I'm not leaving perfect, but I am leaving different. See, if we want to finish well, First thing we got to do, we got to go all in. But then number two, second thing we got to do if we're going to finish well in the areas that matter most in our lives, not only do we have to go all in, say, Jesus, every last drop, it's yours. But second thing we got to do, we've got to get real. We've got to get real. You know, if you've been at Summit for any length of time, I, I use a lot of running illustrations because I like to run a lot. And, um, but I, 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 it's, it's actually more complicated than that. See, I have a love-hate relationship with running. I love it and I hate it. You know that? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Love, hate? Oh, you, some of you are saying, oh, that sounds like the way I feel about my spouse. Don't look at them. Um, just got awkward. But um, see, I love running. I, lo- I love to run and get out there and do it. But you know what? I hate the way that running hurts sometimes. Yeah, I just hate the way it makes my joints feel. And there's times when I want to quit and think about how I could be eating donuts or something instead of running right now. I love it, but I also hate it. And you know, um, I've, I've, I've ran a couple of marathons and people always ask me this. Hey, what's that like? What's it like to run a marathon? Here's what I always say. It's awful. It's awful. You hurt. You begin to cry uncontrollably. You hallucinate. You use the bathroom on yourself. That's not true. It's awful. Oh, it's awful. And then I always say this, but you should do it. It's pretty fun. See, I'm just trying to be honest. I'm just trying to get real a little bit. And I'm not, I, I don't want to paint a picture that isn't true. I just want to get real. Verse 7 is Paul at the end of his life just getting real. Look at it again. I love verse 7, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Hey, if we could just get real for a second, doesn't life feel that way sometimes? Doesn't life feel like you are in a fight and it is round 12 and Ivan Drago is still railing on you? Some of you don't get that and we need to pray for you. Doesn't life sometimes feel like you're you're running a race and you just want to quit? Doesn't life sometimes feel like you are barely hanging on? Can't it feel that way as a parent? It can feel that way sometimes following Jesus, doesn't it? See, some of you are here and you're not a Christian or you are and you have non-Christian friends and they have this perception of Christianity that if, they get, if you give your life to Jesus, then all the problems go away and you get raindrops and a unicorn as a pet, right? That, uh, that, that life just gets easy and perfect. That's not true, is it? No, hey, let me get real with you. Sometimes, in fact, most of the time, you give your life to Jesus, life gets harder. 
There are people in this church right now that could grab a microphone and say this happened to them. They met Jesus and lost all their friends. And they're looking at that group that they used to run with and hang out with, and they miss that group because they were friends. And it feels like they are in a fight, and they don't know if it's worth fighting anymore. And you want to pass on this godly legacy to your kids, and it just seems like they're not listening, and you don't know if you want to fight anymore. And you just keep coming to church and praying about that thing in your life, and it's not getting any better, and you don't even know if this whole God thing is working. But you know what I love about verse 7 is that Paul doesn't say he won the fight. Paul doesn't say he won the race. Here's all Paul says. I fought the fight. Man, I finished. I finished it. I remember in high school when somebody would get in a fight. That was a big deal in my high school. You got in a fight. And then we would always want to talk to him. You got in a fight, man. You got in a fight. Hey, did you win the fight? Every once in a while you talk to somebody. Yeah, man, I won the fight, dude. I don't, I don't want to mess with me no more. Every once in a while you'd ask somebody if they want to fight. And you get this response. Did you win the fight? Well, I fought it. That's what Paul says. Paul says, hey, hey, it doesn't matter if you win. What matters is if you stay in the fight. What matters is that you don't give up. What matters is that you keep running. Some of you are here and you're looking at your marriage thinking, I don't know if this fight is worth it anymore. I don't know if all this investment is worth it. Listen, it is worth it. Are my kids listening? It is worth it. Keep fighting. Keep running. Keep Going, listen, going all in with Jesus. Jesus, here I am, every last drop. It is worth it, and it will be hard. Finishing well, there are times when you will want to quit. There are times when the devil will tell you to quit. There are times when friends and family will tell you to quit. And what's going to keep you going is number three, the prize. You want to finish well? If you and I, we want to finish well in the areas that matter most, we need to go all in we need to get real, and we need to go for the prize. I'm a preacher. They all started with G's. 3G, you're welcome. Boom. You're, you're welcome. You need to go for the prize. Look at this last verse. Last verse, and then we're almost done. Verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Here's what Paul says. Here's what Paul means here. I know I'm about to die. Some of you, hey, you haven't heard anything I said all morning? You're like in a bacon coma. If your neighbor's in a bacon coma, slap him. Slap your neighbor right now. Say, wake up. Don't do it. Don't do it. You need to listen to what I'm about to say. Paul knows he's about to die. Listen to this. Paul knows he's going to die right now. And he looks death in the face and says, I know what's after that. I know that they're going to take me out back and they are going to cut my head off. He knows that. And I am not afraid. Because I know what's next. I know that after I die, I'm going to see Jesus Christ. And Jesus is not going to judge me. He's not going to condemn me. Jesus is going to welcome me. And he's going to say, welcome home, Paul. I'm excited. We're all excited that you're here. He's going to welcome me. I'm going to greet him. I know what's next. See, and it says that, Paul says he knows he's going to get the crown of righteousness. What he means is somebody else's righteousness is going to be put on him. Paul isn't looking at death, and he is not saying, hey, you know what, I hope I was good enough. Hope I went to church enough. Hope I knew enough Bible. Hope I helped enough people. Paul is not hoping his own good deeds get him into heaven. 
This is not Paul's righteousness. This is not my righteousness that I'm hoping in. If you're sitting there today and you're hoping in your own righteousness, your own good deeds to get you into heaven, you need to wake up. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, there is no one righteous. In the book of Isaiah, it says that our good deeds are filthy rags compared to God. What that means is this. I don't have anything good in me that's going to get me into heaven. If I'm going to see God after this life, and he's not going to send me to hell, but instead he's going to say, welcome home, I need the righteousness of somebody else. And that righteousness of another person is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. See, Paul knew, Paul knew, Paul knew what was next because he had given his life to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. What's next for you? What's next for you? Well, I hope it's heaven. I think it's heaven. That is not good enough. It's not. That is not good enough. Paul doesn't say, I think it's the crown of righteousness. I hope it's the crown of righteousness. It might be. Paul says, I know this is coming. Do you know what's coming? You should. Because what Paul does is Paul extends this invitation. Paul extends that idea to every single person in this room. Because he says this, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, the day that I see him, the day I die. And boom, I'm in Jesus' presence. Watch this. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. It's not just my confidence If you love Jesus, that can be your confidence. Let me ask you a question. Do you love Jesus Christ today? Or do you just not want to go to hell? Are you just coming to church and hoping it's enough? Are you just trying to get enough Bible so that if God asks you a question, you'll get it right and you'll get in? It's not enough. Paul says, I know what's next, and what's next is Jesus and I looking eye to eye and him saying to me, welcome home. Because I had met Jesus, and the moment that I met him, I said, Jesus, every last drop is yours. And I wasn't perfect. I blowed it a lot of times. I messed up a lot of times. I made a lot of bad moves. But you know what? He didn't give up on me. And because of everything that he's done for me, I refused to walk away from him. And so Paul stares death in the face and he knows what's next. Do you know what's next, teenager? Do you know what's next, dads? Grandparents? Moms? See, I think today could be a giant wake-up call because God doesn't want you to think that you know what's next. He doesn't want you to hope about what's next. He wants you to know what's next. Next week, we're starting a series, Summer Playlist. And since April, we've been taking your guys' questions, and I'm gonna answer those questions. It's gonna be awesome. Invite all your friends. Stick around after the sermon. We got something for you about it. But one of the questions that didn't make it, but it got got asked over and over and over, can I know that I'm saved? Yes. Yes, you can. We're gonna talk some about it in that series, but I wanna say this to you today. If Jesus Christ is not your 100% hope of eternal life, then today, give him your life. Man, I think that I asked Jesus into my life when I was little, and I hope that's good enough. That is not good enough, because you're not little anymore. 
I'm not asking you what God did in your life 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I'm not asking you what God did in your life last week. Who are you hoping in today? Is Jesus Christ your only hope, your only security, your only confidence today? And if not, today he is ready and he is able to save you and change your life forever. He wants you to know that you know him. Paul says, I know what's next. And if you don't know what's next today, God wants you to be confident. You might be here today and you're a Jesus follower. You're a Christian. You've given your life to Jesus. And you know and God knows that you're not going all in right now. You're kind of maybe dipping your toe in the water. You know what I mean? It's summertime. Have you been to the pool? I've done this. I've done this. I've been to the pool, right? Is the water cold? Oh, that's cold. Oh, oh, I'm backing off. Is that what you're doing with God, Christian? Oh, God wants me to go all in with my marriage and fight for that? How, how's that water feel? Oh, man, oh, that water's cold. Oh, God wants me to serve and use my gifts in church? Oh, you know what I'm going to do? Oh, I, don't, I ain't got time. I got time for that. Hey, you know what? Jesus summit. Jesus Christ did not come and give his life just so that you and I can have a Sunday event. Jesus came to give his life. And he came back to life. And he's alive right now so that you and I could go all in for him. So that we could say, God, I'm not perfect and I still struggle and I still have doubts and I've got a lot of questions. But Jesus, what I know is that you have changed me and you are my hope. And you are my salvation. And so because of that, I want every last drop of my life to be for you. That's the kind of church that will change the world. That's the kind of person that will change the world. And you can make that decision today and every day for the rest of your life. To finish well, we got to go all in. we got to get real because going all in is hard, but it's worth it. Why? Because Jesus is alive and there is a prize. And He is the prize. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, right now, right now, God, I just pray for, I pray for us. Man, I love, I love how strong this word was. God, I know a lot of us, maybe we didn't come for something this heavy. Today it's Father's Day and probably got some awesome fun things planned with family and friends and loved ones this afternoon. But God, can you just help us to pause for a moment? Because I think today could be a wake-up call for a lot of people. Because Jesus, you didn't come and die and come back to life just so that we could hope we make it in the end. Just so that we can think it might all work out. Jesus, you came to give us a salvation that we can know that we have it. And if there are people here today, if anybody is in the sound of my voice, if it's a teenager, a middle school student, if it's, it doesn't matter how young, no matter how old. If there's somebody here today, they've been in church their entire life. They know more Bible than than anybody here. They could stand up and talk about the Bible all day long. And they believe that you're real. And they believe that Jesus is real. But they do not know you personally. They have never experienced your salvation. God, for the person that might be in this room or even listening who is hoping that their good works are good enough, I pray that right now you would, your Holy Spirit would just go off like a a massive alarm in their heart and say, if 
that's not enough. That the one sacrifice for sin has been paid. His name is Jesus. He loves every one of us. And He wants to save us and change our lives forever. Pray for the Christian today and maybe they're just kind of dipping their toe in the water. And by your spirit, you're saying it is time to do a cannonball and go all in. And say, God, every last drop, I'm yours. Church, with every head bowed and with every eye closed, has God spoken to you today? If you're here today and you'd say, Mark, I want to finish well. God's spoken to me and I want to finish well in the areas of my life that matter the most. Would you raise your hand right now and put it back down so I can pray for you? I want to finish well. Your hand's going up right there. Other hands. Go ahead, put them up. Put them up. Hand right there. Hands over here. All over. Hands to the back. Hands to the back. Just put those hands down. But I see that hand back there in the back. I want to finish well. Mark, pray for me. If you didn't raise your hand, raise your hand right now. Hey, let's get real. Some of you are here. I wonder if there's anybody here you would say, Mark, I want to finish well and I'm struggling. I feel like I'm in a fight. I feel like I'm barely hanging on. And Mark, Mark, I'm, I'm struggling right now. Would you pray for me? Raise your hand. Raise your hand right now. Hands are going up all over. I want to challenge you to do something. I want to challenge you to make a move because God doesn't want you to struggle alone. He wants, you to, he wants you to come together with other people who are in that race with you so that they can look at you and say, keep going. If you just raised your hand to say, Mark, I'm struggling, pray for me that I do not quit. I want you to get up right now out of your seat. Make your way to the back. One of our counselors are there. We want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. Get up and go right now. Just get up out of your seat. Make that move and go right now. You don't have to tell anybody what the struggle is, but just you being back there says, hey, you know what? I need somebody to look at me and tell me to keep going. You go. People are moving. Are you? Do you need to go? Go right now. If you need to go, you get up and go. If you raise your hand, you get up and go. If God's speaking to you and saying, hey, you know what? Don't quit. Get up and go right now. But some of you are here, and maybe you don't know what's next. You hope what's next, but you don't know. You can know. Say, Mark, how can I know? The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. What's that mean? What that means is this. What that means is come into a place where we say, Jesus, you are my Lord and my only hope. Here is my life. I surrender to you. If you have never done that, if you have never done that, today is that day for you. You say, say, I grew up in church my whole life. I don't think I'm saved. Today's the day that you give your life to Jesus for the first time. If you're here today and you want to begin a real relationship with Jesus, you say, I want to follow him. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I invite you to pray this prayer silently right there where you sit. Pray this with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Come into my life and save me. I give my life to you every drop, and I never want to be the same. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for saving me. Help me to never forget this moment. Amen. With every head bowed, with every eye closed. Did you just pray that prayer? Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you just prayed that prayer, if you just gave your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to raise your hand right now so that I can celebrate with you. Go ahead and put that hand up in the air right now. 
If that's you, there's a hand right here in the front, other hands. Anybody else, you'd say, I, today I give my life to Jesus for the very first time. Raise your hand, put it in the air. Listen, if you raised your hand or you were making that decision, I want you to look at me right now. Go ahead and look at me. Just raise your head up, look at me right now. Here's what I want. When you walked in today, you got a connection card. On the back of that card, there's a box that says, I gave my life to Christ. Check that box before you leave today. Let somebody know this decision that you just made. And on your way out today, we would love to give you a free Bible and a green book. It's called Seek First. Grab that on your way out. You don't have to ask anybody for it. Some people have it in their hand. They'll give it to you or whatever. But make sure you check that box on the back of that card and give it to somebody on your way out. We want to know the decision you just made. Dear Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you that your word is true. Your spirit is alive and in us. Jesus, you rule over this church. You rule over this city and this region. And God, we want to follow you. We want our church to be a church that says every last drop we will follow. Because you're worth it. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Summit, let's thank God for today. To see, listen, listen, people, people made decisions today to give their life to Christ. And, and, and listen, if you made that decision, you will never be the same. You will never be the same. But make sure that you let somebody know before you leave today. All right? Hey, guys, don't leave here. I got something for you right now, okay? Here's what I want to say to you. I want you to know next Sunday we are starting a new series. It's called Summer Playlist. It's going to be a big deal. I got something for you about it right now. Somebody's going to come up and talk to you. But if you're new, if you're a first-time guest, returning guest, man, I want to meet you today out there in the Welcome Center in the lobby to your right when you're dismissed in just a few moments. we got a free gift for you. I'd love to connect with you today. Hey, check out this video and then stick around. we got something for you. Check this out. Okay, so our new series, Summer Playlist, starts next Sunday. We have all these invite cards out in the front of the lobby for you to get, so be sure to pick some of these up and invite all your friends and family and get them here. And like Mark said, all the first and second time guests, we'd love to meet you out in the front lobby. And happy Father's Day, and we'll see you guys next week.